0: Good evening. Goodbye Forever, Volume 2 by Natchang Rinpoche, Chapter 24, Part 1. Going Beyond Boundaries I stepped backward slowly from the room, keeping my face toward Gyalua Karmapa. He gazed at me with a broad smile, as if intrigued by my reverse progress across the room toward the door. Akong Rinpoche was holding the door open for me. It was a wrench to pull myself away. I had spent astonishing time with Gyalwa Karmapa. Suddenly, almost unexpectedly, I found myself walking with unaccustomed grace down the landing to the head of the stairs. I descended the stairs as if every step brimmed with meaning. Yet the meaning was simply space. I went to sit in the library, where eventually Annie Chuying found me. I hear you've been with Gyalwa Karmapa most of the afternoon, she asked excitedly. What happened? I explained in as much detail as she wished. And then Gyalua Karmapa ended with what must have been a transmission of formless Mahamudra. The pointing out instructions, Annie Chiyin gasped, a moment of silence. Yes, however, please don't mention it to anyone else because, well, I don't really feel I should have mentioned it at all, only I trust you and wanted you to know because you were so kind, you know, trying to be helpful about what happened this morning. Annie Chuyin was delighted on my behalf. Well, it looks as if your patience with things and your acceptance worked out well. A lot of people would have made a big fuss about it. Maybe that would have got you into the empowerments if you'd tried that, but it wouldn't have got you a whole afternoon with gyalwa Karmapa and all that teaching on Terton Mingyodorje. That was amazing. And maybe there's a lesson there if some people around here can learn something from it. Um about my patience and acceptance. It's all external, I assure you. The only reason I didn't make a big fuss was because you don't want to come across as a lower primate, Annie Chiying interrupted with a chuckle. I remember. But whatever the reason, the end result is good. It's good to have self-control too. Well, as I can't control anyone else, it'll have to do for the time being. Annie Chiying laughed and shook her head. You really do like to turn things into humour, don't you? Whenever I can, or rather, whenever I want to dissemble and divert attention from something, or whenever a situation is bad, I find humour some sort of universal panacea. You could call humour the central dharma message of blues. That's a novel idea. But you're going to have to explain that to me. There was no one else in the library, so I sang. Got a handful of nickels, handful of dimes, pocket full of nothing, and nobody seems to mind. Lord, you don't know. You don't know my mind When you see me laughing I'm laughing just to keep from crying You have quite a voice. Have you ever sung in public? I mean, just to burst into song like that is quite unusual. But then you said earlier to Geraint that you'd been in a blues band Yes, I sang on stage from 1968 to 1972. Then I told her a little about Savage Cabbage and my time as a solo blues performer. Annie Churying seemed intrigued that I'd had a whole other life apart from art school and training as a nakpa. It's interesting, she mused, to be able to see Dharma in blues. And it makes me think that one could see Dharma anywhere if one was attuned to Dharma. Yes, I tend to see everything as interconnected. And although I don't place other things on par with Dharma, I see no reason that the Dharma value they can offer isn't also Dharma. Maybe like, on is soit qui pense, but reworded as Dharma is to whomsoever sees it as Dharma. I like that. It reminds me of pure vision, where you hear every sound as mantra and every form as the Yidam. Yes, that sounds absolutely right, but I don't think I'd call my penchant of, for interconnectedness pure vision. It's just the way I've always seen things. I think that pure vision is maybe the fruitional stage of that. Annie Churying looked thoughtful for a moment as if she was struggling with a puzzle. Yes, pure vision and all the different styles of perception. I have always found it slightly frightening the way we see what we see and take it to be real. It's not so difficult when I think of being reborn as a pig and eating pig swill. If I were a pig, pig swill would be acceptable food. That's not hard to understand. But the differences in the human realm are far more convoluted and contradictory. Yes, indeed, I replied. How does one understand a racist, a paedophile, or the Moors murderers? Yes, that is as alien as imagining oneself as a shark or crocodile. Yes, both are almost prehistoric, I commented with a shake of my head, and both seem to kill as a normal impulse. I've been thinking back to our lunchtime discussion on Nazi occultism. Yes, thank you very much indeed for that. It was illuminating in a rather dark way. Then, as if I'd not commented, she continued, it was your reference to Vikings being what led to your interest in Vajrayana, and I was wondering about that from a psychological percep- perspective. I obviously had a wary look on my face at that point, so she changed tact. Don't worry I'm not about to psychoanalyse you. You're more than welcome, I'd be interested. In your case I would not find it that easy and so I doubt if you'd find it interesting. Why would you find it difficult? That's what I wanted to mention. I've been thinking about the animosity you've experienced in relation to Western Buddhists And I think I've started to understand why some people dislike you. Your early interest in Vikings being what led to your interest in vadriana That would be jarring to people. It's not something I ever mention as far as I remember. I only mentioned it here because it came up in conversation and it's not a secret. That is just one example of what might be incongruent about you to some people. There's your easy rider motorcycle, your history on stage as a blues vocalist, your sense of humour, and probably other things I've not seen as yet. The point is that these things would not be what they'd expect, and most people however alternative or bohemian they may think they are, are afraid of what goes outside their boundaries. Isn't going beyond boundaries central to Buddhism? I interrupted. Yes, she laughed, but it depends on how the boundaries are defined. If you go beyond the wrong boundaries or boundaries that had not previously been identified as boundaries, then people find themselves lacking references by which they can understand you or whomever. Ah, that's interesting. That hadn't occurred to me. So, so what happens is you present people with paradoxes. You don't fit into conventional frameworks or unconventional frameworks. That's by no means a criticism. If anything, it's a sign of good psychological health. You see, I don't fit into the customary Western Kagu nun framework. I come from quite a conventional background and was never really part of the counterculture. I enjoyed the music and wore some of the clothes, but nothing too extraordinary. So I wasn't a rebel and taking nuns robes wasn't an act of rebellion. That's probably why the other monks and nuns here see me as an outsider. Maybe they see you as an outsider because they can't understand why you would want to converse with me. That could very easily be the answer, but for the fact that I arrived here over a week ago and I sensed the distance even then. It was evident before you got here. Yes, I inquired. Yes, now they avoid talking to me, but even before they didn't know how to talk to me. I assumed a quizzical expression and so she concluded, because I don't use the same language or give the same style of responses. So let me get this right. You're saying that they don't know how to talk to you because you don't have the same language or responses. Yes, it's a subtle thing. It's similar to knowing that someone is French or German, even if their English is perfect. There are clues in emphasis and in slightly misplaced colloquialisms. Every subgroup has its jargon and topics on which there is consensus agreement. A subgroup member can always tell an outsider simply through the lack of a smile or nod when some idea is expressed. I see, that is a valuable insight. So how does that work in reverse? I mean, how is it that you don't feel alienated from the other monks and nuns? Or do you feel alienated? No, I don't feel alienated by their mode of expression. I don't expect everyone to have the same communication style. Also, I know something of tribalism, and so I don't indulge in seeing difference as problematic. The higher your level of psychological health, the more you can tolerate difference without feeling threatened by it. I'm not saying I have a high level of psychological health, but it's not so low as to be threatened by differences. In terms of feeling alienated, though, they take care of that by not engaging me in conversation. Can you give me an example of healthy psychological functioning? One example would be that the psychosocially healthiest politicians would be those on the moderate left of centre and moderate right of centre, who are able to socialise. It's the ones that vilify each other who are less psychosocially healthy. Ah, yes, and those who demonise each other belong in the locked ward. Perhaps, she laughed, but the more you dislike people simply because they're different, the less healthy you're likely to be. That is fascinating. You see, I was expecting Western Buddhists to be like foundation year art students. The fact that other art students in Farnham neither fitted conventional nor unconventional frameworks was the norm. We didn't expect each other to be understandable. I think we all came from situations where we'd been the weirdos. We were probably used to being the odd ones out and thus were unusually accepting. Of course, that all seemed to change on the degree course. That would stand to reason, because a new normalcy had been established. Then there'd be the consequent expectations in terms of conformity to that new normalcy. I was ever so slightly stunned by this. That is ghoulish, if I can use such a word. It's karmic vision. Yes, of course, so why am I surprised? That should have been obvious to me. Well, you took art and I took psychology, so I'm more likely to make that association than you would be, even though you seem quite psychologically astute. The thing I wanted to mention, however, was the similarity between you and the people you described as little more than satanists. The people in Tintagel. That made me smile. Please do give me the list. Well, in terms of Nazi occultism, you have a German mother and you were fascinated by the Vikings and the Norse gods. The Nazi high command wanted to replace Christianity with the old Germanic gods you rejected Christianity and wanted to take the same direction. That doesn't make you a Nazi or even a Nazi sympathiser but it displays some similarity. That seeming similarity can unnerve people. The people in Tintagel had no interest in the Norse gods as far as you've told me but their fascination with occult power is what caused me to tell you about Nazi occultism. The similarity there is the desire for power and for covert access to power. You practice Tromanakma and are drawn to lamas of obvious power and even magical power. So in some ways you are quite similar to the people in Tintagel. Apart from the fact that you're not manipulative. And it's clear to me that you're not seduced by the idea of power. You have obvious charisma, but you don't seem to use it at anyone's expense. You have a great deal of knowledge in terms of Vajrayana, but you don't browbeat people with it. You have highly unusual status by virtue of your robes, but you don't appear to be interested in employing that status to get anything for yourself over and above what anyone else can have. Right, and that makes me a paradox? Yes. It's going to take me a while to digest that. No, I can't really disagree with any of that apart from the charisma. I'm not aware of having any charisma. I sometimes get charisma presents on the 25th of December, but beyond that, zero. Annie Chuying, after laughing at my jest, shook her head slightly in disbelief at that statement. So I continued. Well, I may have had some charisma on stage with the Savage Cabbage Blues Band, that's possible but that was more due to Ron and Steve being world-class musicians. I used to call Steve the Beethoven of blues and Ron the Mozart of mojo, so there was plenty of reflected glory. I suppose I got some admiration at school, the final two years in Virginia Water, that is, because I certainly got none in the previous establishment. The previous quasi-educational institution only went as far as O-levels and for A-levels one had to find another opportunity. However, the difference in schools was more a matter of people being friendly. I had no sense of any adulation or deference. You're honestly not aware of having charisma? she asked obviously attempting to be as gentle as possible. No, if I had charisma, wouldn't people be less inclined to be aggressive with me? Aggression is based on fear. Yes, so it is. That's another thing that I should have known. And in fact, I do know it. I know it well from the elements. Fear and aggression, the water element. They can be transformed into mirror wisdom, non-dual clarity. I see that I'm going to have to apply what I've learnt. The thing is, I thought I was applying it. That's my problem too, Annie Ying laughed. I'm not that wide awake and aware. It's always far easier to see these things in others than it is to see it in oneself. And it's one of the factors that makes you different from the people in Tintagel. I doubt that the man, at least, is unaware that he's threatening. He's probably pleased to be threatening. Whereas you seem to do your best to be unthreatening. You take trouble to put people at their ease in conversation. I was silent for a few moments. Apart from the times when you're silent, she grinned. Sorry, it's just that you've given me a great deal to consider. Now, if you were a manipulator, you would have asked me why I was afraid of silences in conversation. Ooh, that's eerie. That sounds just like the kind of comment that Gilbert Harris would make. You know, I think I should have taken psychology instead of art but then the academic side would probably have been too difficult. I think you made the right choice. There's a lot in psychology that really isn't that fascinating. There's a great deal of rather pedestrian information and the degree I took wasn't geared to how one might apply it in life circumstances. I think Dharma is what helped me make sense of my psychology degree rather than the other way round. Do you mind if I play devil's advocate? Is that a track on their satanic majesty's request, I jested. But seriously, certainly you may. Why do you have Nazi symbols on your marla?